Welcome to One Sweet Dream, a podcast where we explore the dream that was and is the Beatles. Welcome back to One Sweet Dream. I'm your host, Diana Erickson, and this is part two of the Hidden Gems and Unsung Masterpieces episode with the members of the Screw It, We're Just Gonna Talk About the Beatles podcast. It's a bit of a podcast mashup, and I love mashups, so I am thrilled to have him on my podcast. In part one of the episode, we discussed the following songs, My Brave Face, specifically the demo version, Goodbye, the demo version, What You're Doing, the drum track from Oh Darling, and a little-known unsung masterpiece by the name of I Want to Hold Your Hand. Now on to part two. We jump back into the episode with a Katie pick, and her selection is Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, Let It Roll. must pass is very very great i personally become exhausted by wall of sound so Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. i think it works especially well on this song um i okay so the backstory of this song is fun because frank crisp (laughs) was the guy that owned um he's called friar park george's house um and yeah that's where there are those stories of george and someone else using like world war one era flamethrowers to clear vines and stuff off of the property but (laughs) apparently frank chris was just kind of an eccentric guy and Mm -hmm. wrote a bunch of weird stuff on the walls inside and so george was just very inspired by the guy and then the space of this house um and so the lyrics i guess are kind of a tour through the house but i don't find them to be terribly literal in any way no me Um, neither yeah um but yeah i just i love the chord progression of this song so much i feel like the piano part especially it just feels like okay i have two ways to say this and neither of them makes sense it sounds like either <laughs> like crying underwater or like running through pudding <laughs> or something like there's some some like weird where it's not sad dreamy? exactly but the, it is yeah. very dreamy and i think the reverb is part of that but the chord progression to it 
it's like it resolves, but it's almost bittersweet, or there's like always some sort of tension that's mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. or it feels like, yeah, when you get through something really awful, and then like the hard part's kind of done, and then you can actually feel what happened. That's what it is like to me, where it's some sort of release, sort of, but the tension's not gone. I don't know. Um, like I said, I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh, yeah, I just love love that song. I think it's pretty in a kind of dark way. Well, I, as, as our as the only, as the first George song, and maybe one of the only George ones that we've brought to the table. Uh, it's also interesting. It's the ways that George songs are good that the that the other Beatles songs weren't as good. Like there's a, there's a sense of humor built into almost everything he does that is so fun also i think george songs stay they've aged the best in terms of their coolness like they there is something that just whenever i have play beatles songs for people who are not big beatles fans it's the george songs they love the most they're like oh that one sounds good that one sounds good like they sit up a little bit straighter there's something that connects about his stuff I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if he's more straightforward or more blues guitar-y or something. But George George has a George has like a a modern reach. Yeah, he sort of sounds like a like like modern sort of indie fans would like. A yeah, it sounds like character. mid aughts, right? Like mm -hmm. yeah. it's all too yeah. much. Sounds like it come out in the mid aughts, and th this song too sounds like it's doesn't sound like it's sounds a lot newer than than what it is. He was my first favorite Beatle. I don't know if there's if that's common. It, I mean, if I'm one, it must be others. But yeah, I wonder yeah. if yeah, there's lots. People gravitate for the overlooked one. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the Maureen Cleave article, as if you listen to that episode, she starts off saying that that you know some people choose George because they think that nobody else loves him, but meanwhile, George is probably the most popular these days. Yeah, it's I think funny. his oh, is like he's got an earnestness sometimes that cuts through sometimes even more than, you know, John or right. or Paul, of course, like sometimes their stuff is just so perfect <laughs> in some ways or yeah. that George yeah. feels like he's approachable. Like, <laughs> yeah, that he's, he's on earth. He's really singing from some sort of like passionate place in in a lot of his things and you can tell that that's the song that really moved him enough maybe it's partly a, the a function of that he didn't get that many songs on each album so like each of his songs were just packed with his uh you know th those were the best of the best he wanted to offer maybe but um mm. yeah i mean he's just got a sensibility that's just a perfect sort of blend of the two of them and his own thing it's also this is a uh, this is from All Things Must Pass, and it's the first time where there's enough George Harrison songs that you can get to beyond those, right, Brett? You can get to like the album filler tracks that you discover later. Um, oh you can yeah, see, you can see what George is like. You know when he gets to do eight songs instead of three, and you get to stuff like this. I think, um, right? It's also, is... I always say like with All Things Must Pass, or one of the craziest mind-blowing things about George to me for, as a guitarist is that he did not develop his signature his signature sound really until after the Beatles his slide yeah. guitar yeah thing that you just think of oh that's George Harrison mm -hmm. slide mm -hmm. guitar he never really did that in the Beatles 
right. he, he had his own sort of phrasing of things, but that very specific, you know, any guitarist or famous guitarist is lucky if you can just tell who it is <laughs> yeah. by, you know, one note, you know, they say, and, and, George I can Harrison tell Will actually has that, <laughs> but not for good reasons. <laughs> You're impressed that it's with one note. That he yeah, yeah, one note out there. I think part of what I love about this song too, or what makes it stand out to me. I mean, because on All Things Must Pass, there are other. A lot of it's great, but like I said, sometimes I burn out a little bit on the wall of sound. But you know, like Apple Scruff sounds really different from everything else. Um, yeah, and I think this one too. I mean, I mentioned I love the piano part, but I just love there's also like a really low voice for parts of it. And just where it. I think I like, yeah, that feeling of something covered in vines is that's what it sounds like. I don't I don't know. Am I the only yeah. one or did I make this up that the let it roll almost like led to let me roll it? Like let me the check phrasing? with my fact checkers. Yeah, they say yes. They say yes. <laughs> okay. I always, for some reason, I thought maybe I read it somewhere that Paul. No, I don't know. I wondered about that, Brett. I, yeah. I, I wondered about that. You know, it seems like like Don uses the riff from "Let Me Roll It to You" in um, "Walls of Bridges," the little instrumental. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's not, I forget, not yeah, yeah, not, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I can't remember it wrong. I don't know why I'm but trying to be the one who says it, I always get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> imagine, is it imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he picks up the riff and puts it in his instrumental, but, so I think that Paul and John are talking to each other there, but this made me wonder if Paul was picking up on this song too. I don't really get the connection with that either with the rest of the lyrics. Yeah, they don't feel, I mean, I, because I, when I was trying to remember the name of this song, I was like, I know it's Sir Frankie Crisp, and then I was like, parentheses, let me roll it. And I was like, nope, that's, no, 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 <laughs> like, the phrasings are similar enough that I had to think about it. The song yeah. you really want to talk about is in parentheses. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, like, I also like that uh, you can tell that this is the guy who's going to produce Monty Python's movies, oh, like, with yeah. the song title and, like, that low voice, like, it's not like a silly song per se, but it's a whimsical man who's doing it. An impish guy, like a, yeah, a mischievous yeah. guy. Like it's the guy who liked calling out two of the biggest egomaniacs on the planet for ten years. Like you know, he's used <laughs> yeah. to telling John Lennon <laughs> yeah. and Paul McCartney they're full of crap. He likes I think he likes that role. And even yeah. when, even when they're not around, he's he's tweaking something, you know. He's he has he's a always edge to him. Yeah, he likes being the kid in the back of the class who's making fun of the teacher. I think. I, or it's I'm like just the, getting the George Martin. The I don't like your tie. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 My my fact checker just let me know um, that <laughs> phrase did come from George Harrison, but it was from the song I'd I'd have you any time. He literally says, let, her, okay. "Let me roll it to you." Oh. But I always picked up on that phrase coming up again on that album. Like it just must have been a phrase yeah. being said around mm -hmm. that time. Or, um, and there was he was something... doing a lot of ecstasy. Lot of <laughs> thinking about rolling. He was playing a lot, of, a lot of bocce ball at the time. <laughs> yeah. There was uh, another lyric that was pulled into Band on the Run. Like I think George and Paul talked to each other too. You know, at the end of Miss Odell, he, he says a phone number out loud. Why don't you call me? 
Well, that's Paul's old phone number. Right? <laughs> Fourth phone number. Oh, I didn't know funny. that. Yeah. He doxed him. Yeah. He doxed him. <laughs> I mean, you so know, he- we, so much talk about the John and Paul relationship, but Paul and George knew each other longer, right? And didn't Paul yeah. learn out yeah. of George's chord book, his like a bunch of chords in eighth grade or something like that, and they played in talent shows together and that relationship is the oldest in the band. So, yep. And someday my podcast will tackle that one. That's an interesting one. I mean, the funniest Beatle yeah. by a long shot is George Harrison. Um, and the rest of them weren't funny at all. You heard me say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> George with Friar Park is interesting. He bought this gothic mansion. It's interesting that George was attracted to that. I found a, a quote from Chris O'Dell. Um, she's, she wrote a really good book. Well, that's the one I would recommend. All right, definitely. there we go. Yeah, 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 definitely. I love her book, and I, I interviewed Called, her. Dude, she you got a Dell. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she, yeah. she was right there on ground zero for so much stuff, and they, they liked her and respected her, right? Didn't she have a... Oh, yeah, and she moved in. Like, George invited her to come and live with them as soon as they moved into Friar Park. Did not tell Patty, but, you know, she ended up being a really good friend of Patty's. I just wanted to read about Friar Park in this song. And it says, with its towers and turrets, gargoyles and gardens, stained glass windows and underground caves, Friar Park was both regal and fanciful. Sir Frank must have had a wonderful sense of humor and a childlike love of play. On a high spot of the grounds, he built a massive sandstone replica of the Matterhorn. And the three small lakes on the property were connected with tunnels large enough to row a boat through. Engraved into the mansion stonework were numerous pithy sayings, Eaton boys are a harrowing sight. And George's favorite dictum carved into a monument on the grounds was, don't keep off the grass. I love the little scene carved into the front of the house titled, Two Holy Friars, showing a monk holding a frying pan with two holes in it. Giant mushrooms and little gnomes greeted you in the underground caves, and all of the light switches in the house were monks' faces that you switch on and off by the nose. And doesn't that seem so George to have a house like this that is just so crazy and delightful? Seems like yeah. the site of like a British children's book. Yes, totally. Just a totally. weird man's paradise. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love the song. It's so pretty. Yeah. Good pick, Katie. <gasps> Thanks. Uh, okay, Rhett, this is your choice. Yeah. Oh. Oh bloody, oh blood dog. Desmond has a barrel in the marketplace. Specifically, it is the anthology version number five, take number five. Yeah, it's the version on anthology. Yeah, I've heard, I feel like I've heard the same take maybe in a bootleg form and it's mixed differently. And I did not like it as much as the one I like on anthology three, which I think is the best, the best possible take of that song. (laughs) I'm I'm not someone who I, uh, I've never had anything against. Oh, blah, 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 blah. I remember... 
I probably heard it for the first time on the show Life Goes On, you know, like I yeah. think a number of people of, of my generation um, and like associated it with that for years. Um, and I know some people hate it for whatever reason. Uh, but to me, this is this is a cooler version of the song um, and the rhythm of it, the driving rhythm of it, the acoustic that's just chugging away the whole time. It's a little bit less kind of like bouncy and maybe people find that bounciness of the of the main version like corny or something but uh i love it i love the sound of this one and the way they're um the way their harmonies come in it, it's just it, it's just like magical to me the way the harmonies kind of like cascade down yeah. in the chorus when i i'm just remember when i first went through the anthology album just being totally struck by this version this was a revelation for me too yeah yeah um and i i I have to believe it just must have been one of those momentary decisions where they just went with this one other take and not this one and i can't imagine well the one they went with was one that john kind of led right like john they were john came in fed up of how much time they'd spent on it which probably was like a day or something yeah like and came in charging in with that piano part. And maybe it was because John gave his That's seal right. of approval yeah. that they, that Paul liked it, I think, because I think Paul probably liked it when John liked stuff, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, he did try and redo it again the next day. Ah. Um, but uh, he finally gave up and was like, okay, that's fine. Maybe Will, he he was like, you know what, John liked that one. I maybe it was one. like a compromise. It was like the yeah, one yeah. that Don liked, so we'll we won't fight about it. We'll go with this one. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. the one the uh the really interesting thing that I didn't know until later about this alternate take is that the guy who inspired the phrase obla di obla da is playing the congos on it. Yes. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Know that. Yeah. Yeah, they had him in. Yeah. I don't know if he ended up on the final version. Oh, on this version. That we, on this version, he is. You're on right. On this version, he's yeah, yeah. on it. And it's actually a cool part. It adds to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the All the percussion you're hearing. That's him. Yeah. What What do other people think of this song? That, both the original versus this one. Um, I've always loved it. It is. I can sort of be empathetic with people who get tired of it because it's, it's kind of in that, like, I'm simply having a wonderful Christmas time bit. So catchy. Yeah. and repetitive but i think that like a lot of you know um paul songs in the beatles there's just something interesting enough about the lyrics and shiny about the details that i never really got tired of it it's also such a happy song on an album that has a lot of kind of dirge like bluesy yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. that it yeah. is a welcome respite of just happiness um it's fun how much kids like it yeah, like it's yeah, I think just people, delightful. It's funny. I feel like some people are guarded or they're a little uncomfortable with a song that's just too happy or that's just purely happy. I think you see that a lot. Or like, I think that it's not. It does not sound like it's attempting at all to be cool. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, well, I have known this song my whole life, so it's like I don't. I. I did love it when I was a kid. And so I have a hard time kind of separating from interpreting it with my little kid brain. I think it really benefits from being on the white album, like in this kind of carnival, Mm -hmm, carnival mm -hmm. sound. Cause like if you Mm -hmm. picture it on revolver, I think on revolver, you'd skip it. It would be like, Oh, it doesn't fit here. It's like too, too like 
it's not it's not sewn up tightly enough for something. I think it yeah. might be like how Maxwell Silverhammer and Abbey Road, although I do love that song, mm. and I love that uh, Michael Penn defended it. On, yes, that's on right. Gems, yeah. But um, it does kind of stand out on Abbey Road as like it's not as cool as like come together something and because and she's so heavy. It sort of really deviates from the cool factor, and I think it suffers yeah. for that. Where if Maxwell Silverhammer on the White Album would be like. I think it would be like celebrated. The White Album is just like a better place for the misfits. It's just like an yeah. island of misfit toys in a nice way. Um, yeah. And so you're you're Blood... right. You're right about the, the Carnivalesque. I've never put that together, but I do think the faster version is a little bit unhinged, which probably John was at that point. Yeah. You know, is, but it kind of gives it that it's flavor. It's like a calliope going a little too fast. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's something slightly creepy about it, but when I heard this version and even the 50th anniversary White Album, you know, it's got another take on it, which I loved. Just slowing it down a little bit made it less hyper happy. Yeah. It is. A, it's so funny to me too, that when you talk about like, the White Album period versus the Abbey Road period. Like All you're right. talking about basically a matter Eight of four months. months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the Get Back sessions, they were just, the last thing they did was the White Album. Yeah, like two which weeks is, before It's that, like yeah. they are the same people. Like it's so funny to think of yes. me being like, Will, why don't you go back to like yeah. cool psychedelic <laughs> Will, which was like October 2021. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they do the the albums form these associations in our brains, and like they. I mean, they we were talking at together. some point what what we thought about the Get Back documentary, and one of the things yeah. that I honestly did not realize is what a short period of time yeah. it all took yeah. place over. I'm embarrassed to say I thought it was like three months, not three weeks. Or well, whatever. books would yeah. books would have you believe that, especially the way they talked about it. It was like the you know the winter discontent being like for you know the winter. You yeah, know, right, right. And then, like, isn't it something like six weeks later they do Abbey Road? Yeah. They, they started. Right. Yeah, like they yeah. go back into the studio like two weeks after they finish. Yeah. They just keep recording. You know, so yeah. it's so weird that it's so delineated in our minds. Right. Like the bad get back period. That one then. decision to flip the, re the release order yeah. did so much to yeah. our understanding of that period, yeah. you know, where people really thought that that was a documentary of the breakup of the Beatles and, and it just wasn't, it was just, yeah. just released I, later. I just can't uh, always am baffled by how quickly John grew that beard. I know <laughs> I am too. Yeah. It's insane. It was like this big by Abbey Road. How is that possible? Yeah. It was, um, ta um, it was taped on. <laughs> um, for, I can't remember on the two versions uh, of, of the, the white album version, Obladi and then mm -hmm. the take number five from anthology. Mm -hmm. I definitely think the take number five from anthology has that ho that horn, um, that syncopated horn track, yeah. the brass track. Is that also on the White Album version? The White Album version has a real fun saxophone counter melody thing. That's okay. Fun well, to I love play. that. No matter where it is, uh, if it's on both, I like that. I don't remember if it's all that. Oh, then it's different. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. You know, this is one of the songs that we've read about. You kind of learn that it's disliked. I don't right. know if I would have ever thought that. I think yeah. you put is this song on at a party, because... everyone's psyched. I think everyone's happy uh, to hear this song Is it merely always. because they just worked on it thousands of hours and they were sick of it, and that's why we have this negative connotation? I know it's also kind of probably under that 
that uh, not so great term of like granny music that John would scoff at Paul for making. But yeah, which he also well, made, by the way, Mr. Of course. Mr. What's Mr. funny though is like it's it's really not even an attempt at granny music. It's an no. attempt at Jamaican yeah, ska music, yeah. which yeah. is an interesting idea for them. Like, in, like new ground. Too. In some ways, it is funny, like to think of like. It is sort of the widest version of a Jamaican <laughs> yeah, song, yeah, yeah. like yeah. you can imagine. <laughs> so in that way, I am sympathetic. Yeah, they're trying, but it is, uh, to me, objectively fun and singular, and it's Obladi. It's like you can't. It's not some throwaway song. song. I don't know what this you would do to the its, rest of your life. To its legacy, but a friend of mine who was completely tone deaf, she used to hate going to karaoke parties. And she'd be like, yeah, the only song I can do is Oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da. She goes, everybody <laughs> will sing along. You can kind of just say the words and nobody cares. <laughs> it totally That's works. Funny. And I saw her do it and I was like, she sounds great. She's right. You don't need to have a sense of melody to sing That's Oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da. So I don't, I don't think that's a I, vote in its favor. I, think, I, think, I just think there's a category of songs that kids love immediately. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I don't know, there might be like all, I, I love Maxwell Silverhammer as a kid. Just because it's the lyrics are so weird, I didn't even get it was a murder. I thought it was just a guy. <laughs> yeah. Now hammer. it's you know it's weirder now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, and obla di obla da. I'm sure there's a whole like uh, an album's worth of Beatles songs where you go, these are the ones the kids like immediately. Yeah, yeah. I think obla di is definitely one of those. Even though I don't know, there's probably more. I I think there's more weight in it that yeah. than people give credit for one thing uh, one song i had rattling around for this episode was all together now oh yeah was i which i also think of as like such a kid's song yeah Yeah. but then it's funny because i remember hearing that song on pbs or something like Mm. they would play it in in these little like commercials and um but then like later as a sort of beatles fan sort of searching for it and not seeing it on any of the that albums. is a good hidden gem. So I was yeah. thinking like, oh, that is kind of a hidden gem. Like, I wonder if sure. everyone has heard that or not. Okay. Well, somebody can do that one. Cause that, that <laughs> yeah. is a good one too. I, I feel like the ones like you're saying, Joel, that are kids songs. So Obody Obada, Yellow Submarine, um, All Together Now, all of those. It's so funny to think of like a modern band where if there's like an arcade fire album and then one song <laughs> yeah. is like this yeah. goofy yeah. child appropriate <laughs> arcade have... fire doing obla diablo da is very funny to that one about. is actually probably they would do that one um <clears throat> of any of those but i do yeah. i i just think it is i love that even you know the coming up on 60 years in retrospect that you can be like what were you guys doing like those yeah. are weird <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah it's so strange in the next decade that you know we're listening to led zeppelin and black sabbath and stuff yeah. and then you know i'll go through periods where that's what i'm listening to and then you think back like wait were the beatles like better than this like this is the most <laughs> serious hard charging music ever then you listen back you're like yeah they were somehow <laughs> somehow even though somehow they were like I, I love quote unquote uncool beatles moments to me that makes yeah. them cool like they didn't Absolutely. need to they didn't need yeah. to be i don't know they they weren't scared of anything when it came yeah. to their music they would do whatever they felt and yeah. and so even if it's something that i personally don't connect to i love that it's there you know yeah. um i can't see the rolling stones doing something so gutsy i can't even see Actually, I can't see Led Zeppelin doing something like Gutsy, but I can't see Black Sabbath doing. I mean, the Beatles went where they wanted, 
they they were not acting like they were carrying the economy of a small nation on their back. <laughs> they just <laughs> um No, you're right though. That, well, that's a great point. Like there is something so confident about that, not having to be cool, just being like, yeah, yeah we're putting out the yellow so I love the yellow submarine in that context in that yeah. it's just like a pop of joy like this one is. Uh, yellow submarine it's terrific. Yeah. yeah, I also yeah. think for people now, because you know there there are various. Sometimes it's when stuff comes out, but there are also just cycles on social media where teenagers argue about if the Beatles are the greatest band ever or not, and it's infuriating <laughs> to witness. Because yes, yes, they are. Well, yes, I know. but uh, I do think that it's really funny to think about somebody hearing about the Beatles story and that like how they changed music forever and how they changed pop culture and teen culture and recording techniques and all of this. And then if the first song you heard was yellow summary, like what the fuck? <laughs> Get ready well, for the greatest band that changed everything. In the town, in the town where yeah. I was born. And I think in town is like sharp or flat or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other thing is, is that John loved all those songs too. And yes. He's got this reputation for not liking this song, but you know, there's accounts from like Prudence Pharaoh in India of John and George walking around playing this song. So yes. I, I think they did like it. I think it was maybe Paul was being finicky or, or they couldn't quite get it right. Or John maybe. was talking to a journalist who didn't like it. And John would just say whatever to please the reporters. He just liked yeah. to be smart and funny. And, and he would yeah. throw his own opinions over the side of the boat just to be cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and I, you, I feel like you see that in get back, you see that dynamic and you see the reality. Like John is super engaged in, in yeah. Paul songs and you see yep. him sort of get down to business and pit and like take it seriously. Well, um, in get back. He seems so yeah. lost. He seems like he needs somebody to lead him some which way. He's not leading yeah. himself, I don't think. But he's having a blast, you know, once they move yes. studios. Yeah, like, he's yeah, having fun he with it all. Yeah. yeah. Don't you think, Will? Yes, yes. You see him kind of awaken throughout that documentary till the rooftop when he's finally fully, you get full John. But um, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't seem like someone who's too fussy with Paul. George seems fussier with Paul than John. John seems well, like I, Paul could talk him into anything. I yeah. Think. But I think that's the truth of the matter. You know, like that's like we're observing them at one of their lowest periods. Can you imagine what they were like, like three years before, two years mm. before, you know? And you can still see how efficient John and Paul work together oh. and mm -hmm. how productively mm -hmm. they do work together in this yeah. period you think of as full of tension. Yeah. There's so many moments where you see them live editing a song. Yes, ending. Chopping yes, down. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, ending. Yeah. Yes. Like, and, and just looking and just like. Instant. Yeah. Just, just looking so intently, like it's just like the communication that's going on, you yeah. know? Yeah. And they trust and respect each other immediately. You know, they'll just bounce a few ideas back and forth so fast that, yeah, yeah. later on, who would remember that small moment? I mean, this was a bad time for John, too. You know, John was up and down in, in some mm. of these White Album sessions. So who knows why he didn't? But it did give the halo to this song that it was like not, not a cool yeah. song. I did find a fun. Oh, okay. go ahead. You go. Mine was dumb. <laughs> no, no, go for it because mine was definitely dumb too. <laughs> you wait, I'll say it after. You'll, you'll I'll say go it. then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yours was somewhere. Okay. <laughs> um, I did find this fun fact, which I thought was really funny because of the fact that, you know, this song is, you know, classified as a, as a granny song. They did this 
yes, it was something called the Max Planck Institute in Germany. Did you read about this? No, no. They did this test about the the most perfect pop song. They ran it through a computer. Um, <laughs> scientists analyzed over 80,000 different chord progressions from 700 songs. And Ovladi, Ovlada was considered to be the perfect pop song. Whoa. <laughs> oh, wow. Number one. I think I do remember reading that somewhere. I believe it. It seems like a song a computer would like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> damning. Damning. Exactly. I don't know if that helps its cause. Yeah. Anybody else have anything else? Will, what was your point? Was it- I just like that John played the lead guitar in Honey Pie, which is something I didn't know until our podcast went over it. And it's talking about his dislike of granny music. He's pretty granny on that. And he's he great. Is. Um, so yeah. like I say, it's not really relevant. And I apologize for bringing it up. So, granny no, playing that's great. A- John's <laughs> love of granny music. Me, Mr. Mustard. Yeah. Granny. yeah. Super it's granny. So- cool sounding though i like the i like the the visual of a granny playing that solo on guitar just shredding <laughs> granny <laughs> take <laughs> it away <laughs> <laughs> the baseline on me mr mustard uh a friend uh um a friend of mine who's a bass player and who was on our bass player episode and we had four bass players Oh, yeah. The baseline to mean Mr. Mustard is like very cool. You, know, you think about it just like as this kind of offbeat oompa oompa, but the bass is doing some kind of strange like stutter step move that cools it up. I'm probably the only person to ever notice it, but Paul McCartney has interesting bass lines. So write that down. Thanks. Yeah. 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 I think Paul's bass cools up a lot of songs. Um, I think his bass added a lot of coolness to everybody else's songs and his. Yeah. <laughs> Diana, you can feel free to drop any of our songs to make the time you want. I just wanted to rave about I Want to Hold Your Hand because... Um, <laughs> this whole episode was for that. Yeah, that, that's, what I, that's what I needed. You know what? I love the attention on that song. Oh, that great. was great. I'm glad you appreciate it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I probably should have called this series something different because I get all the Beatle nerds saying to me, like, wait, that, that wasn't like... I mean, there's no hidden gems from the Beatles. No, there's it's, not. There, there's yeah. not. Nothing's hidden. There are none. So let's. it's just about... I, I like it some. as a prompt. I like Because I like thinking of them. As, there there are aspects of them that are hidden or at least yeah. under-talked about. Exactly. Exactly. When in doubt, just talk about the isolated drum track from any song and uh, suddenly <laughs> That's really you've made it hidden. What if I did the isolated hand claps and I want to hold your hand? <laughs> Only talking about the hand claps. Katie, you'd love that. I, okay, I have a playlist of songs with hand claps in them where I just, every time I'm listening to music, if there's one with hand claps, I save it to that. Boy, does Paul McCartney love hand claps. There are so many all songs in there. You know what, Katie? I was very surprised. I was sure, not that you know, I know you or anything, but I, I was sure that you would choose 1985. Hmm. Oh, I figured that that one was popular enough to have been discussed, but I do love that song. Yeah, great. If somebody doesn't take that one soon, I'm going to take it because it's definitely oh, take one it. of my favorites. I could have done that. I just didn't. Um... What, a, what a, a truly great one. Yeah. And it's one a lot, of, a lot of Beatles fans don't discover until later, and it's an absolute winner. It's I think a banger. When, when Joel and I saw McCartney, the previous tour, Mm-hmm. And he did that. I think I forget if we said this to each other then, Joel, but just like we realized how many arena songs he wrote in Wings. Like, yeah, he wrote. Uh, he didn't have time in the beat. <laughs> Concerts got big while the Beatles were happening, so the songs weren't designed for like yes, Shea Stadium. Yes. They were designed for, you know, the Palladium or something. So, yeah. uh, then he wrote songs with Wings that 
sounded great in stadiums. So when we heard like 1985 and Let Me Roll It and um, those songs, and it's conscious, like they just explode in a, in a, in Dodger Stadium. Like it was You're so, so right that those songs really play well. Like when you go to his concert, his 70s stuff is pretty heavy, actually. It's heavy, yeah. Or in I, 1985, I recently like tried to learn that on piano. Oh, it's fun. It's really, really fun to play on piano. But it uses the same sort of left hand technique that he does on um, Lady, Lady Madonna. Madonna. It so, makes me exhausted because an octave is like, I can boom, do boom, it, boom, but boom, I have boom, small boom, hands. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, yeah. after five minutes of trying to play that song, I get too tired. But I would be interested because in my brain, I don't know of anyone who plays piano like that. Like I kind of think Paul mm. just sort of invented that for himself. Um yeah. in the same way that he sort of did the Blackbird style yeah, yeah. picking, which is actually yeah. turns out pretty unique. But uh yeah, that it's like that Paul McCartney piano technique. Right. Uh, which is really dominant with the left yeah, hand. Yeah, specifically well, this octave, it's this constant octave on the left hand going and it gives it this like chugging sound yeah. it's given us some great songs okay so the next one is uh your song and it's a great one it is i'm only sleeping yes John's sleepy songs. So, uh, you know, I just this, love, I'm so tired. Yeah, uh, that's another great one. That's yeah, true. Great he does sleep well. It's tired. just Lucy in the Lucy in the bed with diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hold your nightstand. No. <laughs> A yeah. day in the uh, cot. <laughs> and your bed can sleep. <laughs> um, yeah. Well. I find it very relatable um, lyrically. (laughs) And I think, you know, it's just so good. Okay, so this is where I wanted to talk about Metrical Feet is that I love the way that it scans. Mm. Um, Like, I would, I think that I want to say it's trochaic, but there's like a little extra syllable at the beginning of when... Joel, were you going to say iambic? Trochaic is like the opposite of iambic. So trochee is a stressed followed by unstressed syllable. 
and an IM is an unstressed wow. followed by stress syllable. Joel's just amazed mm. at your use of words, period. He's not here yeah. to yeah. take the opposite position with an equally. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you what either. Pardon. <laughs> I think it's iambic, Katie. This yeah. trachaic nonsense has got to go. Oh, that's the please don't thing. Or, that kind of no, part. the when I wake up early and oh, yeah, yeah. it's just that yeah. like steadiness yeah. of it. Um, I love that okay. too. But that's I think I like I I like songs where the lyrics fit the melody, like they scan well in that way. Yeah. Of where because mm. this is something that drives me fucking crazy about Frank Sinatra. I'll, call, I'll talk some <laughs> shit real quick. Wow. Is that iambic motherfucker? No, <laughs> that would be fine. But he New does Jersey something. iambic motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, old blue iams. Um, yeah. <laughs> but where in? I think that like sixty percent of Frank Sinatra songs sound improvised, and it drives me nuts because it's like. He's just vaguely singing in key, but mm -hmm. if you mm. were to play that melody on any other instrument, it wouldn't be recognizable, or it's not like repeating, or mm -hmm. the words don't go with the melody. Like where he'll be like, "And mm. your ab, absolutely, um," and it's like, "Stop!" Oh, I see what you mean. No, it doesn't line up there. Don't right, put it right. there. Um, and yeah, I just in this one, I think that that like. I like that rhythm or that sense of things kind of chugging along. Um, yeah. Or I think it's, it's his life at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or the everybody's rushing around. There's no need. Mm -hmm. Go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah, yeah. He's the thing that I, th I think that along with that point, John is such a master at as like a recording artist. Um, is like it's it's really interesting when you point out the dun 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 because if he sang right on beat. If he sang the way the song is like written on paper, it would sound completely different. But what he's so good at is singing over the beat and fluidly kind of like a little bit behind. And he he drifts yeah. in and out of the beat mm -hmm. naturally as like, he sings. Yes, yes, I agree. Swung instead of straight eighth notes or something. I yeah. mean, that would be extremely yeah. robotic. But I think that also where it sounds like you're pulling him out right. of bed or that he's yeah he's, yeah. he's like he's waking he's out of his he's like weighing the beat back kind of right yeah sometimes if you really like zero in on it it's kind of shocking how far back he drags some of those syllables you know over the beat it's really interesting yeah and i mean i think that i guess yeah it's thematically relevant or fitting for this song um but it is I think such an interesting way of being expressive in terms of being a vocalist. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's, he's definitely like got that talent for just being so directly emotionally expressive, you know, when the song requires it, when the song doesn't require it. I don't know. He communicates emotions so directly. You feel like you, you feel something when you listen to a John Lennon vocal so easily. Even yeah, if it's just wanting to go to sleep, you feel like a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you feel like a kid who's tired and is just kind of begging off his parents to leave him alone, but not in a juvenile way, like in a deep primal way. Like the yeah. hurt child is in this somewhere. And I think, well, for one, that this comes on right after Eleanor Rigby is <laughs> awesome. That's mm -hmm. crazy. Uh, <laughs> like the variety. What do, you, what do you think it does coming right after Eleanor Rigby? I just think Eleanor Rigby is so the the strings are 
they're not even pizzicato, but they're so like percussive or it is very like straight up and down and mm-hmm. feels like more serious or more formal. Yeah. Both, I guess, subject matter or because it's like a both, string yeah. quartet or yeah. whatever it's makes it classical. seem like, oh, and then I'm only sleeping is like, guys, let's chill out. Just lie down. I mean, you would think they're two completely different bands who made those two songs. Yeah. 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 One is like this very much like a classical song and there's no rock band even in it. It's just mm-hmm. all strings uh, and it's formalized. And then one is this like psychedelic masterpiece. Yeah. And this one too, just for exploring lyrical subject matter that isn't romantic. Um it's like, yeah, this is a great everyday thing that you, yeah. you have strong feelings about, but it doesn't feel like a big topic necessarily. Um, and then there's also the fun technical stuff of like the guitar solo played backwards, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which also like that they were willing to put in that time or effort or do those things even on this song that's about being kind of sleepy. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> It's so perfect as like an early psychedelic thing because it's like 66 so i don't know even how i mean this is like early psychedelia right but it makes well, just, they've just turned acid around this makes time right? it's new to them in the evolution of that or where that sound and that feeling comes from that it would start like in the simplest place which is being like sleepy and dreamy and it's dreamy li- literally yeah. literally talking about being sort of dreamlike yeah, well, I've just done this whole Maureen Cleave piece on John from March 1966. So this quote from Maureen, she says, he can sleep almost indefinitely. He is probably the laziest person in England. <laughs> physically lazy, he said. I don't mind writing or reading or watching or speaking, but sex is the only physical thing I can be bothered with anymore. <laughs> Which, love that. Yeah, this is the period where he has a lot of time at home and he's doing a lot of LSD, a lot of time in his mind, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, sure just... Katie, what you're what okay. you're saying that I love about like I often think about with Beatles songs is it seems to me like they're picking subjects that you can almost think of it as like what's a thing in life that doesn't have a theme song for that <laughs> thing yet you know mm-hmm. where it'd be, that's that's um, funny because I was thinking of yeah. yeah pulling inspiration from just daily kinds of yeah. things you, you can see in their early period it's like. So much of that is focused on um, uh, boy-girl relationships and stuff. And, I, you know, she loves you and I love her. And, and like, exploring, like, every little dynamic that needs, like, a, a song for it. And then in this, they're exploding out with, like, things you would never think would deserve a full song about it but i love that it's like it's just a song about being sleepy it's so funny to think of a reverse engineering almost of like what doesn't have a theme song of like, well, i really no, think no other group's done a song about when you push a door that's meant to pull you yeah. know or like, <laughs> uh, I, oh, it's I, interesting. oh no go ahead well no, no no it might trust me you go first. <laughs> Even dumber than the last one. Just maybe not dumb, but just like ad- adjacent and unnecessary. It's not okay, necessarily let's hear dumb. It. No, I love yeah. those. Okay, I feel a primal association with this song and Nirvana's Sliver, the one that's like, Mama, take me home. Mama, take me yeah. home. Like, when and dad went to a school. You know, he's like just talking about falling asleep in the back of the car. Not musically, but like the Kurt Cobain and John Lennon as like the 
kind of emotionally hurt people who had a lot of anger and resentment and reached the heights of pop stardom, able to sort of sing on behalf of the child, the inner hurt child in this kind of very catchy sort of way that's at at once sort of like disposable, but also deep. And so I feel like a connection of those songs, like Lennon's, I don't know, in a way, writing about taking a nap, which is like the dumbest (laughs) non-idea I've ever heard. But he does it in such a, he casts a spell of what it feels like to fall asleep in a way that's stunning. The melody feels like falling asleep, the little images that he uses. I mean, it's a genius, it's a genius song. Yeah, the whole chorus of la na 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 it's, And it's like, still catchy and simple. It's yeah. unbelievable that they found it. And I love the, after when they say, I'm only sleeping, that little bass thing to get back in. Yeah. Yes, oh, yes, yeah. it's so good. It's and so oh, good. And then keeping an eye on the days going by my window, like... The, that part's oh, so good. I love that, har- that harmony bit. That Paul, yeah. Paul, so good. That bridge is so good. Yeah. But everything's and good, right? The words are good. The cadence of the phrase is good. Katie, I'll leave it to you to say whatever the metric well. feed is. It scans well. But then Paul's harmony adds yet another angle of quality so to it. Yeah, the bridge really goes somewhere else with oh. it. I love that. I can't. What an album. I can't even believe it. I can't believe it exists. What a bunch of assholes. <laughs> Seriously. How dare they? And then Here, There, and Everywhere is like, is that the next track? After uh, I'm Only Sleeping? Is it go to Here, There, and Everywhere? Um, I hope it doesn't. I uh, love I you, hope, too. I hope none of us know. Thank love God. you, too, is before Thank Here, God. There, and Everywhere. Another another one, though. What, the, what yep. These assholes. How dare <laughs> they? What's, what's bad on this album? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, even at his laziest moment where he's like, God, I'm just too tired to even write a song. He writes the most perfect song. Yeah. If there's a dud, I and I don't dislike this song, but if there's a dud on this album, I'm going to say it's Dr. Robert. Yeah, Dr. Robert is the most uh, redundant yeah. compared to the other greatness, but I love Dr. Robert too. The tone of those yeah. guitars, I could go to sleep in them. I love that part. When you look at John's songs from this album, he's really not writing about love at all. It's like Dr. Robert, she said, she said, I'm only sleeping. Tomorrow yeah. never knows. Like there's no, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's up in his head. With ro- yeah, he's in his head. He's I not talking that. about romance. I love he's that. still just so musical. I mean, uh, the, the. Even though the only thing he bothered to, to do right That's now. That's right. Is it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I quoted no that No love in <laughs> I, I love this pick, Katie. It's one of my all-time favorite Beatles tracks. Uh, I remember, uh, like, I, I'll hear bands cover this occasionally, and I'm always delighted to discover that somebody else has a connection to it. But, of course, with the Beatles, you feel like it's just you who understands the song. And, of course, there's millions of people who also <laughs> I mean, that's feel that way as- about the track. People having George as their favorite Beatle or like Brett, kind of what you were saying when we were first starting about that everybody feels like they have to have some take on something or some way of seeing the Beatles that nobody else does. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. we just all feel very personally about it. (laughs) But it's all the same. I just remember wandering around New Haven when I was 22, drunk, and there was a bar that was just called Bar. And I stumbled into the back and there was just some band back there and they were playing I'm Only Sleeping, just a bunch of like guys in the early 20s. And just like me in this like drunken haze hearing this like beautiful song. And I'm being like, wow, other people like this song too. Like these guys like it. Everyone's kind of standing around and listen. This is like in 1994 or something like that. And just like, 
you know, it's not it's not of the moment. You know, it, this is yeah. pre Beatles anthology. They just like that tune, man. This is one of my favorites too. I love it. I, I love that it is psychedelic, but like gen, it's like um, you know, sometimes psychedelic can be a little bit dangerous in ways that I like. But this is very soft, easy going, John. This is self-centered, sleepy, John. And, you know, Will, I do connect to that point that you were making. Like, there's something that's very childlike about this, John. And in the whole article from Cleve, John is just so self-centered and sweet. And, you know, that's how I see this song, too, is that he's kind of cat-like, you know? Yeah, I like it. I, I always feel like John John actually had a psychedelic brain like he uh, he would say that you know he actually saw yes like hallucinations and yes. things that people didn't necessarily see when but he like, wasn't psych- on drugs you're right but like yeah. psychedelia is one of those things especially when it caught on like you could really be trying too hard to be psychedelic and seeing yeah. about yeah. unicorns and rainbows and stuff but like this to me is john not even necessarily thinking it trying to make it that way like just this casually is him. this is him yeah and yeah this really... is just... go, go ahead, ahead. Diana. No, no. i was just gonna say like the the first the, the first song to really be in reference to LA, lsd is she said she said right and even in that store in that song he's like get me out of here like i don't like this in yeah, a way. yeah. like i'm not, I'm not part of this i don't feel yeah. part of this yeah, he's separate uh, from it yeah yeah, this is what I feel like, John, when he was just at home, dreamy. I don't necessarily see this period as being, you know, sometimes it's talked about as a really bad thing for John, but, I, you know, it kind of went inward for a while. And He came up with Nowhere Man in the same sort of way of, like, I have nothing to write about right now. Yeah. And I feel like coming off of the classic. grind of touring and everything, like, yeah, it was probably the most he just had kind of time and space to let his mind right. wander in quite yeah. those ways because otherwise they were all shut together in hotel rooms or you know so even when they had downtime they were together right. yeah um, well mccartney was manic at this period this is when he was like the prince of london but you're right lennon did the opposite of just relax did acid you know when you think of microdosing these days i don't know maybe a little bit was good for john yeah there's some alternate history where john just becomes a violent angry drunk and just like punches everybody he sees. And in our reality, he got into acid and sort of became like a space cadet. And I, I prefer <laughs> yeah. that between yeah. these two alternate versions. Say yes to drugs. Say yes to <laughs> drugs, kids. Take it from me, the coolest person ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's this dichotomy with John. He can be very, very restless. I interviewed Ray Connolly, who wrote a book on John called A Restless Life. And in the period with Yoko, he was kind of manic almost, but this was the, that pre-period where he's just kind of sleepy and relaxed and eccentric. And, you know, even though he would downplay this period later on, this 66-67 period is jam-packed with some of his most iconic songs. I mean, I quite like this period for John. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, sweet John. Yeah. And he was, you know. Everyone around John said that he was sweeter, gentler, nicer around this time in 66 and 67. And contemporaneously, John actually said that he was the happiest he had been. And I love him celebrating one of his favorite activities, which is sleep. 
All right, uh, Katie. Oh, this is another good choice from you. Sorry, this is two Katies, but it's a damn good one. Okay, Katie, you chose a Ram entry. Yes. Speed along the highway, honey, I want it my way. What leaves you do? Her daddy's strong. Don't stay out too long. We're just busy hiding, sitting in the back seat of my. Mexico City, but listen to her daddy's song, making love is wrong, Ooh, we're just busy riding, sitting in the backseat of my so much and yeah i thought about choosing monkberry moon delight or something because i like Ooh, talking about how paul is a madman um <laughs> but yeah this one backseat of my car is the one that i chose um i think okay i'm gonna start off by saying that i dream about if there were like a live in concert queen version of this song, <laughs> I think it would be really good. Um, <laughs> but I think this is such a, so, okay, Brett, you'll remember this on Ram. It was like the engineer was someone that then worked with Billy Joel a lot. Yeah. Phil Ramone. Phil Ramone. Yeah. Okay. So I knew there was some connection like that because this song to me is there are times when I hear Billy Joel songs and I think, oh, you are trying to be Paul McCartney. Definitely. And then oh, for sure, yeah. This is one that absolutely Often. came first, but where I'm like, oh, this kind of reminds me of Billy Joel, or this feels like within that realm of there. I should have looked up the source of this. I don't remember. Someone tweeted probably years ago and it stuck in my brain about that Billy Joel um, tricks people into thinking they're listening to rock and roll when they're actually listening to show tunes. And I mm -hmm. think that Paul has that ability to some degree too. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, this song, just something about the melody it reminds me of Billy Joel. <laughs> I don't know. There's a Billy Joel song on glass houses called through the long night. That is super Paul McCartney ish. And it's, and it sounds like, it doesn't sound like backseat of my car in terms of like, it doesn't like lift the melody or anything, but the mood is really similar. And Phil Ramone produced that album, uh, you know, and he was the engineer on Ram. And, and he, I think, I think Phil Ramone was also really involved in another day. Um, no. in particular, cause I saw McCartney in concert has thanked Phil Ramone. He'd been like, Oh, engineer Phil Ramone really helped with this tune. You know, here we go. 
And um, <laughs> another day is such a weird lead single for Ram. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not I don't even necessarily representative of what you were gonna get with the album. No, it is I've not. never, no, I've never not. sort of agreed with that choice as a single for Ram. I think Ram was done a disservice. Well, there was uh, Uncle Albert, which was actually more representative. That was that if, was a number one too. If uh, that had come out first, that like I love yeah, 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 it made more sense. Um, um, but yeah, in the backseat of my car, then it ends with this like anthemic part the we believe that we can't be oh, wrong so good and it's so oh, good scream and this one also yeah there's a really good scream it's a, such a good scream from his soul oh. and in some of the earlier parts of the listen to her daddy so paul's singing it, like the the same melody but like two octaves lower or something like i've never yeah. heard his voice that low um i hear tons of beach boys in it Mm. Yeah, I the whole could, album, the yeah. melody, I could hear yeah. that a little bit. Um, the, oh, go ahead. No, no, please go. On. Oh, I don't really have more. I just like this song, and I think mm -hmm. uh, I think this is another one where the way that you one discovers it adds a lot to it because it's not a single because it's not one that's forefront in like Paul solo stuff. So it's something that you come to once you start digging into Paul solo stuff and you stumble over this track, and it's one of the many many times in Beatles listening, we were like, this song, this song's just here. This is the end of the album. This is incredible. Or whatever. Yeah. Why don't we all know about this song? This yeah. song is so good. Or I feel yeah. like this is one where it's not like there are particular chords that stand out or that are weird or anything at all, but more of just, if you think of the, like, we may end up in Mexico city and then how it gets into the listen to her daddy's song, like, those, how are those the same song? <laughs> like, I don't... I feel like this song is unhinged, you know? Like, it teases and pulls back. You know, it's kind of like a Hey Jude kind of song, but it's the crazier version of that. Yeah, or was, I think yeah. with too many people, maybe it's a nice bookend thing for the album, but that on that one goes back and forth between kind of really distinct, I would say more distinct in that song than in Backseat yeah, of My yeah. Car. Um but yeah, I love that he's just experimenting with like, well, I have two ideas and I'm just going to stick them together. <laughs> I mean, totally he's, had so yeah. much, he's had so much success with it. It's hard to begrudge him that he keeps going back to that, right? Even Isn't there one on Egypt Station that's like three songs stitched together? Oh, that's like an uh, Admiral Halsey or Band on the Run kind of yeah, deal. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, Paul, just finish your two songs. But then I'm like, I don't know. It works so often. I guess I can understand why he does it. And this, this is one, one of the times when I think it works. I guess, yeah. I wasn't even thinking of, yeah, the transition into the anthem part at the end. But this is more where it's not like distinct song chunks. But right. almost the same as where Paul writes a song and John writes a song. And then Paul's like, yeah. hey, my song could actually be a good middle eight for your song. So yeah. it, it it feels more like that, but I know I don't. I'm not explaining this very well, but I think it's good. <laughs> it, it's it's not like two songs jammed it, together like day in the no, life. No, yeah, it's at him it's challenging himself, which I always love to hear. Yeah, I think it's just one of those like, who else in the world would have put those chords in that order or the and his that vocal style changing so much. Yeah, you know. What does everyone else think of this song? Yeah, I hear a lot of again like Brian Wilson um in in the similar 
period too, like surfs up or, or something like that. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the vocals are just beautiful. <laughs> like it, there's just no other way to even put it. Like to me, Paul's voice only got better yeah. in the seventies, um, yeah. which people underappreciate, I would say. They totally underappreciate it. And they don't appreciate the production of this album and how tasteful the orchestra tasteful and experimental the orchestration was. I think they were they were looking for like literal meaning and coolness. And Paul's like, I'm not interested. What I'm doing yeah. is yeah. Brian Wilson orchestration, melodies that go places a little bit differently. I don't care if the whole picture is you're looking for secrets about the Beatles breakup and I just want to try <laughs> jump in two octaves yeah ironically i see it like you you mentioned before about solo songs being worthy of beatles track mm-hmm. it's almost like when you think about trying to speak another language and you're always translating it in english i i sometimes get in that trap where i listen to the solo stuff and i am always thinking like what if this was beatles oh i think it is you know um but i think ram i think band on the run almost the entire albums i can really hear in my head how those would have been beatles songs and, and they are absolutely worthy of that and the would more they have i listen better to them, maybe but i i almost think they would have been really similar like i can just hear him being the beatles and it just doesn't happen to include john and george and ringo and it, you would hear them more of course if it if it was but I can I mean, I th- hear every element that would go into it like a masterpiece. Mon- Monkberry Moon Delight sounds to me like a song that he and John would have had a blast doing. Yeah, yeah. Like for sure. Some kind of everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. party. And you even hear sometimes like him using Denny Lane or whoever as yeah, yeah. a John stand-in. John Especially, slash George. Yeah. Like, I feel like a like combo. Like a similar timber of voice. Yeah. And he's having the harmonies structured in the same ways. And you're like, oh, why was... There was so much talk about how Wings is garbage or whatever, something. And you listen to me to Band on the Run, especially that album, and you're like, this is a Beatles album. <laughs> like, it just yeah. sounds like it oh, to yeah. me. Oh, yeah, Band on the Run. There's the very little else. I'm glad that Rams had its deserved day in the sun. It's a brilliant album. It's uh, It holds up terrific. It's really interesting on re-listens. Katie, didn't you kind of discover, I mean, I think we saw you fall in love with it, right? Because like you listened to it for our podcast and then um, you kept texting us, oh my God, I can't stop listening to Ram. Yeah, I had Ram all day long. I had heard it, I think a little, like a couple of times and I knew um, Uncle Albert well. Um, But then, I mean, that's like the same with- But not Admiral No, 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 no. (laughs) I turned it right off before he got mentioned. Um, No, a lot of the solo stuff that we've gone over on the podcast, that's like when I got into it. I mean, like I knew the hits that were on the radio, but um, yeah, neither of my parents were super into any of the solo work. And so I became a lot more familiar with a lot of it later. Sometimes I Uh, find that it's so rich almost in a way um like like i'm by the time i get to the latter part of the album i'm almost like so satisfied already or i've been through so much listening that i've like that i kind of like have the 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 later songs on the album i've given less attention to than the first 
Well, Will made a good point a while ago, Will, when you noticed that a lot of the songs on Ram take a little bit of getting into before they build to something. And so yeah. that there is like a certain amount of Yeah, the patience. turn halfway through the song is incredible. So you have to kind of wait for it a little yeah, bit to earn it. Yeah, but I think that that rhythm is kind of happening over and over throughout it that I think that that can make it overwhelming too or where you feel like you're waiting for yeah. something. Um, I can't call to mind now, but I feel like the middle of Eat at Home I really love. And uh, I, I feel like that on a lot of Ram songs, the middle part, I, the whole thing's good and the middle part makes it really special and unique. Um. I don't know. It's a great album. It's just I'm just so glad it exists. Yeah, for me, I did a three part episode on Ram. Uh, I did a <laughs> I interviewed the um, engineer who spent the last like two Ooh. months with Paul and Linda, just the three wow. of them in the studio while doing Ram. And he said Paul was so determined to put out a great album, and they were so close. And he said like everything was coming out of Paul's soul at that point. Yeah. Like it's like it was just pure emotion. And I think it's an interesting album because there's so much tension in that album. You know, he's he's with Linda. They're so happy. And then there's so much anger, too. He's dealing with the breakup. And, you know, both of these things are packed into most of the songs. I think Ram is a good example. Or, okay, so Brett, what you were saying about how you can imagine a lot of those songs kind of as Beatles songs is I think once they all kind of broke out and were doing their own solo stuff. To me, you can really hear of that. Paul is mostly the one that maintains the within an album variety song to song. Like yes. they're all just yeah. wildly yeah. different versus I feel like a John album, like imagine or plastic Ono band or whatever are great. And a bunch of the songs are great, but they are just like kind of more stripped down, similar instrumentation on all the songs. Um, yeah, they're more cohesive and similar in a way. Yeah, and I so I think yeah. Ram is like a perfect demonstration of Paul. Yeah, that, I think of, you could that almost say he brought where obviously they were all on board with it, but that that's what makes it still kind of feel like the Beatles, even though they're not all there to me. Right, and to me, some of that's in the like the ambition of it, um, where it almost feel like you could. I feel like a lot of people could could feel like after Abbey Road, like where do you go? You know, it's like. Mm the top of the the mountain you know in terms of just putting together a perfect masterpiece album but in some way and so it makes sense in some ways that john went into sort of like minimalism um and paul actually did it too with mccartney but though that was kind of just organic but then he and was then in some ways george just went just went all out with all things must pass but almost just just exhausted his his reservoir in some ways whereas like yeah. i kind of can hear paul just continuing that and to me i can hear like where the beatles might have gone after abbey road if they yeah. stayed that ambitious and were trying to still think of like bigger ways to write songs um and yeah challenge themselves yeah, there's a big palette on this, but I think the Ram is interesting in that Ram to me sounds of a piece, even though there is like you said, Katie, there's a lot of different sounding songs. It, it sounds cohesive. Yeah. I love that cry, that ending bit that it, it builds to is it's like a cry of emancipation. Like I just find it so exhilarating. Run, run, run. 
there is a sense of defiance in his own way paul is being defiant and rebellious oh, with this song yeah we're gonna smooch in the back of the car even though your dad said no <laughs> <laughs> it's him and linda it's just him and linda saying we're doing it our way you know yep, yep. it's great okay. i love ram yeah yeah <laughs> i'm glad we have a, a ram representative on this all right, Joel, finally, we get to, I don't know why I put your song all the way back here. That's all right. All right, so, Hey Bulldog. So I um, I heard of uh, how did I experience this song? I experienced this song much like what you're doing, which is way late in my Beatles obsession, because I one I didn't have Yellow Submarine. I so so that only that only left me without Hey Bulldog and All Together Now and maybe oh it's all, it's all too much. much. It's all too much. Um, and I didn't hear a ton of praise for those three songs anyway right um like like when i would read about a bunch of stuff where i'd read the mm -hmm. beatles books talking about there are songs meticulously talking about who played what what was john's opinion from either whichever <laughs> yeah. playboy or rolling stone interview yeah and what i kept on seeing about hey bulldog was that i think it was john it's probably it's probably that it's a john quote that says it sounded good it was like a good sounding track. And hmm. I always remembered that and thought I would like, I want to hear what that means to John for that to be the thing he says hmm. about uh, a song. So I, 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 I think this is true. I think the first time I heard this was, I think it was when one came out, the, um, the, the Beatles album that had all the number one singles in 90... No, it's 2000... 2000, maybe? Uh, the, the one compilation? That's 2000. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Wow. Um, and along with that, they that was the Beatles' first... Or Apple's first... Or maybe it was EMI's first website devoted to the Beatles, I think. or, or And I that was me new on the internet going, well, I'm going to go see the, what the Beatles are. And they had a... I think part of their promo was showing the video for Hey Bulldog, mm -hmm. which That's right, had yeah. originally been the video that they would draw from to make the Lady Madonna 
right so uh video um so i heard the song and i was like holy what a groovy song and and because it, it had this value of uh, this was a song um it's like a it's like a mountain you haven't seen yet or something when you've been living in these mountains or like a like a hidden like there's one more song that i haven't heard that i haven't obsessed over yet and then i went deep and yes john's right it sounds great it is such a fun i don't know whether whether it's well balanced uh it's one of those songs where you can you can you can um, you can see them playing it all four of them playing together it's not so overdubby that you feel like there's a thousand instruments playing in fact when i did that um sort of fantasy set list of what if the beatles got back together and played a concert this is you know or john lived etc and they had prince as the swing musician that would help <laughs> them i i wanted them to open with this song because it was such a fun it's a john song it's it starts with this funky piano yeah yeah, yeah. And, and yeah and 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 uh it means almost nothing. <laughs> it's just a lyrically, it's just this sort of word salad. I'm, I'm sure there's probably a narrative in there somewhere, but I've never really paid attention to it. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's uh, that, that, that sort of um, rising. You can talk to me. You can talk it's to so me. If you're sinister. Lonely, you can... Yeah, it's yeah. sinister. But it, that final line is, if you're lonely, you can talk to me. It's such a beautiful thing to say to somebody. <laughs> so and then it just ends with them barking and goofing off in the, <laughs> the, in the in the studio and watching the video, watching them having a blast. Is, uh. it's, it's hitting a lot of the things that we were talking about at the beginning yeah, yeah. of Get Back. It's just that there they are. Um, making this maybe throwaway song i don't know but it sounds great and they're having a blast and i you know uh, all four of them are playing on it and it, it just is there there are the beatles enjoying being the beatles and yeah. got this another great song out of it when i was always... like eight i bought a yellow submarine on cd it was the only album that we didn't have and yeah. I was like obsessed with this song and just little me being like, this is rock and roll. <laughs> like, I <laughs> thought that it was like the coolest it, song. It is. It is. It, think, is cool. uh, it is cool. It is cool. And it I is always, rock and roll. I always yeah. think like Magical Mystery Tour and uh, some of those songs from Yellow Submarine, like th they're almost this, in this like, magical between period yeah like you know where you think yeah, of where we're saying like you think of the white album having this sound and abbey road having this sound and sergeant pepper and all that hey bulldog always sounded to me like this mythical other period that they were in outlier um like yeah. baby you're a rich man is similar to me yeah. it's yeah, like yeah, me it too. wouldn't belong on any of those albums and it's maybe like the coolest period i can think of yeah there and they're really sound. close to this period too mm. yeah it, and it has that james bond um chord progression in it like a that oh, guitar i didn't riff. realize that yeah dun, 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 dun. oh yeah like yeah. chromatic ish thing <laughs> and the you can talk to me part it does it's that just such a good performance part. i mean it's just like another one that maybe the bones of it aren't as special as what they do with it together you oh you're like... talking about so good yeah go ahead. no you go ahead joel I was just going to say, you're talking about that, na, 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 the James Bond. 
Yeah, it, it does that chromatic. Right oh, okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, I interrupted you for that, Will. I, all I was saying was the Beatles are good at performing rock and roll, which, you know, that doesn't, tells it totally not to be said, but this is a good showcase of it. I discovered it late, too. I feel like it's a good hidden gem yeah. category for that. Like, I think it was just, it, they would play it, a snippet of it in a montage of the Friday afternoon rush hour theme on my classic rock, my hometown classic rock radio station. Oh, really? Yeah, they would play, like, a snippet of, like, I don't want to work, just want to bang on the drums all day. And then, like, I'm just working for the weekend. And then they have dun 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 um, makes the song even more special that you could just there's so before the get back documentary there was just so little footage of them just playing music and being filmed doing it that it was like a precious little resource of it and that is another one of my favorite parts of the get back doc is just so much footage of them actually just playing i think it encompasses also the seriousness and the silliness all in one in a nice way of like that that song ends with barking but also the middle of it is like some kind of solitude is measured out in you and it's like what is this song (laughs) yeah Yeah. well john said later that it means nothing i knocked off hey bulldog it's a good sounding record that means nothing which always makes me suspicious just to (laughs) put this out there i have a suspicion about songs where john is like it means nothing don't look at it it's a great Lennon vocal, right? It's another one where the edge yeah. of his voice yeah, is adding yeah. something to words that that it maybe it might sound less meaningful with other singers, but somehow you know John's saying, um, yeah, the the line that Katie said, some kind of solitude is measured out in you, or what's the one that ends with years? Some kind of something is measured out in years. Um, some kind I of happiness. Sh- uh, some some yeah. kind of innocence. Is, some in- oh, innocence in- is measured. At, yeah, some kind of innocence is measured out in years. You don't know what it's like to, to listen, listen to your, to your fears. fears. Yeah, like I feel like yeah. this, and you know, because on Abbey Road, it's like I could I could believe that they were tossed off. I could believe that they were part of a more thoughtful poem. Uh, he just had such a knack for just a cool little couplet, or maybe Paul did too. Paul might have contributed stuff in yeah. here, but. I'll just say the Beatles did. They just had a knack for um, just enough, just enough, yeah, yeah, evocative, just enough meaning to stick in your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear it once and you catch it. You're like, what's that? And you just remember it. Or a lot of it is ambiguous or or not necessarily ambiguous. Um, What do I mean? Whatever. Not not strictly literal or kind of abstract or open to interpretation. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some kind of happiness is measured out in miles. Some kind of innocence is measured out in years, and then some kind of solitude is measured out in you. That just what a and what yeah. makes you just, think you're something special when you smile is like would ruin yeah, my life so if someone said that to me. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's a little wicked. I wonder if he's trying to out mean Dylan. I feel like Dylan's got a lot of songs mm. this time where he's just just being a complete asshole to somebody. You know, like Positively Fourth Street was like a year or two before. That's like the um. Mm-hmm. You don't know what it's like to, you know, yeah, yeah. Listen, you know, see you in your face. You know what a drag it is to see you. Just these guys yeah. really like being dicks to people they were in love with. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were just trying to outmean each other sometimes, and maybe in a tossed-off way, John Lennon's like, "Oh, okay, let's put a couple 
asshole comments yeah. to some yeah. unnamed yeah. audience yeah. member. I mean, along with what he was advised, which was, you know, I believe his advice to George Harrison in Get Back was sincere <laughs> about just put some words in there now and then you'll go back okay. and change them. And these are placeholders. I think John just was better at those first drafts <laughs> than George Harrison yeah. was or like he was just always going to do, do better with that first draft. And maybe in this one, he was like, ah, sounds good enough to me. Right, right. Um, and this is evocative. And, and I, of course, I could change it, but we got to go to India in about two hours. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right. And, right. and change our whole dynamic after yeah. that. Yeah. I think John yeah. Lennon telling somebody just throw some placeholder words in there is like Magic Johnson saying, just pass to whoever's open. I mean, it's not yeah. a hard game. Just like <laughs> yeah. do whatever is obvious to you and that will be the right choice and it's like john yeah. it is not obvious to everybody <laughs> to just well, although he, cool. he did not give george a great idea no he didn't <laughs> well, uh, well always uh attracts me like a pomegranate or a cauliflower, cauliflower. Yeah. cauliflower. Well, yeah it's uh, oh. it ended the, he had, he used the same end of uh attracts me like no other lover yeah rhymes with cauliflower <laughs> in a weird <laughs> universe all right so <laughs> What do we want to do? So we've gone this Let far. Let me do one line about Call Me Back Again. Just one statement, because that's really my only thought, of, is that to me, that is like this. First of all, that's the version to listen to. Yeah, for You sure. don't have to listen to the album version. It just somehow doesn't Burn carry, it. Burn, carry burn that album. Burn Second, it, it I, th I really hear it, and I think it's like the sequel to Oh Darling. It I, is, yeah, for sure. I, I hear it as like the next step in that paul and it's one of the best vocal performances you'll ever hear that's really kind of all i think of it <laughs> and it's just awesome yeah Okay, so this is the final selection, and it is in Liverpool. Spent my early life in Liverpool. Something I'm not likely to forget. No, 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 people blend with places on faces that I know but never met. There's on the bus sits a man He's talking to himself or so it seems Listing names of old comedians And laughing at them written 
Why did you choose this one? Because this was this was a very hidden gem. Yeah, first of all, because it's very hidden, and yeah. I would like and I you want people to know about it. A lot of people don't know about it. I didn't know about it. I think it's the last big uh, revelation I've had in terms of that kind of thing, like in terms of a Paul song that uh, just blew me away. Discovering it, and it's probably in the last like year or two. Um, and you find it. You can't find it on any album that I know of or any official release. Uh, in the 80s, he did some kind of thing for TV where he walked uh, the oh, viewer yeah. through his old yeah. high school. He and George's old yeah. uh, Liverpool you know, Institute. Yeah. Liverpool Institute. Boys school. Been there. Yeah. Have you? Have you yeah. gone? Yep. Yeah. I went in February. I made these guys do an episode of just letting me talk about where I went in Liverpool. It's not relevant to the discussion. I apologize. Yeah. Well, I love, you, I love how you said that. Stand around and listen to it again, Will, if you want us to yeah. tell us the story. Um, but I will say, in some ways, my love of this extends from watching that whole thing, which yeah, I think is I like really, that. really enjoyable. Uh, it's Paul like at his most charming and informative and entertaining and he's just like i would want he he's almost being like Hewell hauser he like walked <laughs> through his old school and there's just unbelievable stories he shares yes about he and george and their antics and, the, and he's yes. in the actual classroom where they did these things and he goes oh yeah like i stood up on this desk and i was doing an elvis impression in front of all my friends and you're just thinking like oh my god like a that really happened. You know? I love and that. The, yeah. You can just see him. His wheels are turning. He's on, you know, firing his on memory all cylinders. Crazy. Was yeah. His memory was crazy. His memory is perfect. Oh, this teacher's name was this, and they would always do this. And if you got in trouble, you had yeah. to come yeah. here, and this person would yell at you. And George's and so, dad yeah. got in a fight with a teacher, wasn't that? George's yeah. dad punched yeah. out the teacher. George's teacher slapped George on the wrist or took the ruler yeah. out or whatever, disciplined him. And uh, over dinner, George's dad saw the the bruise or whatever and was like you know what happened and george ended up telling him the next day george's dad walked in the classroom and just just punched the teacher in front of everyone which is i like that he first asked did story. you do this to my son just yeah. to kind of be clarify. sure yes it's a great story the, it's an amazing the story teacher said yes uh no wonder george is like yeah it's very george isn't it like standing up yeah that window into their lives and Paul's memory of George, like, I don't know. You just get a sense their relationship is so much bigger than yeah. even the Beatles and their memories just go so far back. It's but an amazing anyway, special. Like, I'm watching this special and just loving every single second of it. And then Paul takes you to this, the little like auditorium um, where, you know, they had, they would gather the whole school and do these sort of assembly uh, assemblies. Yeah. And he gets on stage, takes out a guitar, and plays this original song that you've never heard before. It's a Paul McCartney original, and it's called In Liverpool. 
and it's just like a gorgeous song to me. I love every part of it, and it's obviously very sentimental and it's very nostalgic and it's painting this picture of Liverpool with all these amazing specifics in it. And uh, just even the chords again, this could, you could think of Paul just strumming an acoustic guitar and think it's sort of, uh, you know, he just sort of plopped this song out and it's very yeah. simple. It is not a simple song. It's a, it's, it's has that Beatles quality to it where there are surprising chords. There are, shifts in the song that go from major to minor key in ways that are just only Paul can do where it's like, it shouldn't work like that, but it does. It's almost two songs combined and it's just amazing. Like you could picture the song being given the full treatment and harmonies on it. And it would have been one of these classic Paul McCartney songs. And it's his going back to the thing of like each subject needing a theme song or whatever. It's like, this yeah. is his song about his Liverpool childhood, uh, Liverpoolian childhood. Uh, he loves it, Liverpool so I much. I just love it. I just love it. And there's the some... video is so incredible too because there's yeah. like six people in this huge room. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, can you, can you imagine, imagine sitting there and hearing this? Yeah. Hearing it, and then he goes and also vocally, he's sort of he's singing the song, and it's kind of in this one range, and then towards the end, he starts. Uh, he does this vocal run where he, he goes up in his upper register and he's going even higher and higher and higher until he just he hits this magical Paul McCartney high note and does this run and it just gives you chills you know it just has that magic all over it And it's just a song you can't find anywhere. Like, I, I really believe you could talk to, uh, you know, 90 out of 100 Beatles fans and they would not have heard this moment. Yeah. 99.9%. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Even more. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't do anything with it. He didn't do anything to my knowledge. It's just like, how could you not do anything with this song? <laughs> also, like, in a period where he needed some good songs. Like, he, I know. it's like we were talking about that. Like, <laughs> This is like kind of the the dark ages for him yeah. and a lot of artists of that age, like the eighties, you know, they kinda hit a rut. And yeah. had, here he, he had is to finish the... spies like us and he had to <laughs> add in the harmonies yeah. of my brave face and uh... yeah. yeah, it's a lot of just un you know, unwise production choices and things. But then at its core, he he's just on guitar doing his thing and it's just right back to that to me like 1968 quality Paul McCartney or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's some, not, it's not really... as, as I want to hold your hand, but I do think this is a good choice. <laughs> there's some yeah. really, really cool lyrics in it too. Well, he just loves Liverpool. Like he's the one that went back more than anyone. And, you know, he, he's the one that started the fame school from that, mm -hmm. that school. There's just so many fond memories for him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's talking about like getting, I love how he says getting coarse, you know, with the, like he's talking about the the young boys, like basically yeah. talking in their little groups and um, mm. the conversations getting coarse. Uh, <laughs> and he talks about the dog with one eye to his name. Um, he has an like insane beautiful. memory. 
for yeah. a guy that's smoked as much pot as him, he has like <laughs> yeah. the sharpest memory. Okay, well, that is a lovely, lovely song to end with. Thank you guys for all of your choices. They've ranged from drum tracks to <laughs> the biggest song of all time. So thank you. It's been fantastic. Thanks for uh, having us. And, uh, yeah. yeah, thank yeah, you. Have you heard of our podcast and asking, and it's just really nice. And uh, we're fans of, uh, of uh, this podcast and, and your theories. And I'm waiting for that reading list. Excellent. I will work on that. So, can, you guys, uh, can you please just say your names for everybody here? I'm Will Hines. I'm Joel Spence. I'm Katie Platner. And I'm Brett Morris. And this oh. is it's 60 Minutes. minutes. <laughs> it did sound like that. Shakes. I knew you were doing that, Joel. <laughs> I knew you were doing that. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much. Have a great night. Yeah, thank yeah, you thanks so much. much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And that concludes our episode. I want to thank Will, Katie, Joel, and Brett for coming on the podcast. I loved having them on. I just have a couple of follow-up notes from the episode. First, the name of the McCarty special Brett mentioned is Echoes. It can be found on YouTube, and I will put a link to it in the show notes. I would highly recommend checking that out. Second, in our discussion about Obladi Oblada, we touched upon the subject of granny music. Now, this is proving to be a rather hot topic in these episodes, which suggests to me that there is some frustration around the framing and treatment of these songs due to this label. In fact, I did a whole point of view about this subject at the end of the very first Gems episode, the one with Soda Jerker, because I think it's a term that has had a substantial impact on the way we view certain music. And I actually think the reason for this label is quite complex and it's a loaded issue between Lennon and McCartney. So uh, I think it needs to be considered more deeply so that this label can be put into context. So if you're interested in that point of view, please check out the end of that episode. And uh, actually please check out that episode as well as I think they were fantastic. Third, in this episode, we discussed Backseat of My Car from Ram. I mentioned in the episode that I did an interview with Eric Wangberg, the engineer who was alone with Paul and Linda as they finished the album in L.A. Eric was wonderful to talk to. He provided incredible insight into that period when not many people were around Paul and Linda, and he spent substantial time in the studio with them. Um, so that's definitely worth checking out if you are interested in Ram. I also did a two-part deep dive with Duncan Driver. So if you really love Ram and want to spend an inordinate amount of time considering it, then these are the podcasts for you. So that's it for my host notes, which brings me to my last point, that this is the final episode of season two. I want to thank everyone for listening. I have had a ball doing it. I also wanted to give a heads up that as I prepare for season three, and I have very big things coming for season three, so I need a little time to research, record, and produce my episodes. But during this time, I am also going to reissue episodes twice a week. Not necessarily my favorites, because I really love all of my episodes, 
but episodes that I consider to be important to the mission of the podcast, which is to shine a new light on the Beatles making the invisible visible. All my episodes go into great depth with a tremendous amount of detail and research. So I am replaying some of the highlights in case you missed the episodes or in case you want to revisit the episodes, because even though you might have heard them once, you might find new stuff in a second listen. Even I find that I remember quotes that I had almost forgotten. So there's just a lot of information in these podcasts. So I'm hoping uh, some of you might enjoy the replay. Also, during this time, I will be putting out some short videos from time to time on YouTube and TikTok. I want to do this because I find that as I build my episodes, I come across so many quotes or ideas or interesting pieces of information that inspire me in that moment. And while I try and capture as much as possible and include it in the episodes, I'd also like to just share the information out quickly while it's exciting to me and hopefully to you. In other words, it's a way of sharing little bits and pieces of intriguing information or ideas as I come across them and as I'm really excited about them. I plan to call this Beatles Sparks because they are little sparks of insight or inspiration, and I want to share them to stimulate discussion around the subject with you. So my plan is to put these up on YouTube and on TikTok. And so please check out or subscribe to the podcast YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at one sweet dream podcast. And the podcast TikTok handle is tiktok.com forward slash at one sweet dream pod. I, I also have a Patreon account where I will be uploading a range of content, sometimes longer form content before I've edited it down. Sometimes it's just content that's more suitable for a smaller community. Uh, I do plan to release a new podcast episode there in the next couple of weeks. This is not necessarily to incentivize anyone to join. This is really just to let you know that it's there. If you have any questions that you'd like to have addressed in a future episode, or you have suggestions or requests for future episodes, please feel free to message me on social or email us at onesweetdreampodcast at gmail.com. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider giving it a shout out in social or leave it a review or give it a five-star rating because positive buzz really helps other people to find it. And I want other people to find it. And of course, I really appreciate the support and feedback. And finally, I want to thank everybody who listened. I also want to thank my collaborators, such as Duncan Driver and my researcher, Hallie Ryan. And of course, my wonderful guests who shed so much light on all kinds of subjects. I can't wait to be back with season three, and I have about three massive research documents on the go, so I think it's about time I turn these into episodes. Well, I guess that's it for now. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>